nowadays with replay, you, you don't have the manager come out and argue as often. It, it, it sort of diminishes that uh, theatrical component that that you I know. I thought the and, same thing. I thought the same thing, but as of about a, uh, three four weeks ago, eject, ejections were markedly up from last year, but it was more so with players than managers. And I think the umpire. I love the story play. It's working. There's no question about that. I mean, it's, it's working. They have to find tune it and tweak it because you can't have a coup of umpires in New York. In my opinion, you can't have a coup of umpires in New York taking out a rotation to go there for a week to monitor these reviews and, and replays. You have to have four impartial people doing this as, as the job who don't care about the umpires, who don't care about, well, this guy, if we call him out, then this means that Jimmy Jones or Sammy Smith, the umpire, is going to miss two in a row here. It's going to make, make him look bad. So, because we have seen some, we have seen some replays that were, uh, you know, Bud Selig, of course, had, quote, quote, the best interest of baseball. <laughs> well, these umpires have, it's got to be conclusive. <laughs> what was your favorite moment in baseball? Favorite moment? Oh, there's no question about it. Being introduced to the opening day at the World Series. You know, uh, that's something you dream about as a child. And I dreamed about it. I, in my, yeah, I was a different kid. I was a big kid. Very, very strong. Abnormally small. And I used to, I ate kids, I used to grab mow lawns and collect bottles so I could collect 10, 15 cents and maybe a half a dollar. And I would pay kids to come out and throw batting practice with me. And I could hit 12 tremendous distances when I was, you know, nine years old. In fact, the first little league game I played, the first little game in the history of Savannah, and in that game I hit three home runs. They were all over, well, you know, over the fence and everything. So it was, it was, it was just one of those things that, again, when I, you you bring back some memories that you know that I haven't thought about in a long, long time. But uh, I guess that's way to sum it up. I feel like I got able to two feet on the face of the earth. I have interviewed 100 Hall, 170 Hall of Famers, numerous athletes. We love hearing the stories. And we love hearing you broadcast because, again, you bring up the Carl Yastrzemskis, the Tony Canigliaros, the, the Whitey Fords. A lot of broadcasters don't do that, but I enjoy hearing the stories because baseball get boring just watching the pitcher throw the ball and the hitter hit it. It'd be amazed, you'd be amazed at my, at my mail on people writing the same thing. Now, I have to... Also, when I do it, I have to preface it now for all you youngsters out there who didn't know who Carl Yastrzemski was, or for all you youngsters out there who didn't know, you know, Yastrzemski was a triple crown winner, Canigliaro was the youngest home run leader, uh, home run uh, champion in American League history at 20 years old. I have to preface it by saying that, but the majority of my mail is from, from people who want to hear the stories because baseball is built on, it's built on great players, it's built on great rivalries and tradition. That's where tradition comes from, great players and rivalries. And that's why the scheduling, just, and I, I went off on the schedulers this year, and it just pisses me off. I mean, it's ridiculous what they're doing to the rivalries. They, they had us playing this year, the Cubs, on a Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, consecutively. 
those are two three game series that have to be spaced out like a month, month and a half apart. You've got to you've got to nurture those rivalries. You've got to, the three greatest rivalries in baseball. First of all, number one, without question, Dodgers Giants. That's number one. Number two is probably the Yankees and the Red Sox, and number three is probably the White Sox and the Cubs. But you've got to take those into things. These are not jewels. And that's what baseball is built on. And if you, if you put them as just regular games, like on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night consecutively, that's fucking bullshit. I mean, it's, it's just bullshit. It's tearing down the, the fabric of the game of baseball. Now, the great players we got coming in are uh, sensational. With your Mike Krauts, your Bryce Harpers, and these guys, and you know, your Jose Abreu's, and, and uh, Cespedes, and these guys. So the talent pool is there. But if they don't watch out, they're going to fuck up with the scheduling. So the way they do it because they're tearing down the rivals. Well, I, I figured they baseball made that schedule because they, they know those games would sell out. And why put them on the weekends when you could hopefully get another sellout? But it, it, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, you know. Those should be your showcase games. Those should be your your weekend games, and they should be spaced out. It, it, it was as if baseball saying, okay, let's get these games out of the way and, and get on with the rest of the schedule. I, I, yeah. if, you can, if you can figure out who makes that schedule and they can explain it, I'd be thrilled to listen to the explanation. But, uh, I checked into that. Now, they had a couple, I forget their name, they had a couple who lives uh, up north who did it for years and years. Right. And... That's the only thing they did. And when they did, they protected them. They put those rivalries on the weekends. They put them in good spots. Now, the the new company, excuse me, is out of Pittsburgh, I believe. It's called Scheduling Inc. Group, Scheduling Group Inc. or something like that. Uh, after I went off on them, they, were, they called the White Sox and said, what is he doing? <laughs> and and uh, I guess the White Sox told him he's doing what he what he thinks he should do. And they got pissed off. And what their response was, well, we got 30 teams to worry about, not two. Well, that's bullshit. That is total bullshit. What means it's tradition, it's history, it's generational. It's from great-grandfather, the grandfather, the father, the son. And when you start tearing down those rivalries, you're taking away, as I said, from the very fabric of what made this game great. You don't have this kind of tradition in football or basketball. It's only in baseball. So, and now with soccer coming on like gangbusters, if they don't start making changes in their scheduling, whereas if we play the Cubs three games on the weekend, or we play, or the Yankees play the Red Sox three games on the weekend, well, those things are, are precious. And the media has a ball with it. And if the media has a ball with it, that means the fans are going to be interested. Yeah. So it's just, it's just the thing is, that's it. if they don't watch out, they're going to really screw this thing up. Did, did you have a favorite game that you called as a broadcaster? Oh, sure. Burley. Burley's perfect game. Okay. I'm an emotional guy. I cried when he threw his no-hitter. And I, I just cried. In fact, I was... After he threw the perfect game, I'm driving home like I'm driving to the ballpark right now. I was driving home after the game. I had tears in my eyes because Mark Burley's still special. He, he, if it had been Jimmy Jones or Sammy Smith who threw that perfect game, I'd have gone in after the game and say, hey, great, great, buddy. And that would have been it. But when you get a special guy like 
Mark Burley or a catfish hunter. These are Robin Victorias. These are special people. Don Mattingly, you know, when these guys do well, you know, you're Derek Jeter's greatest baseball icon, you know, of our you know, generation. Cal Ricketts. These are icons. And Burley, to me, when he threw that perfect game, with well, that shit he throws up there, I tell you what, I, I, I just got him, I started crying. That's my favorite game that I've ever called. I called Tony's, you know, 500. I've had 13 no hitters I've called. Uh, I've had some special moments in, in broadcasting over. You, you're going to have, if you go 39 years, you're going to have some special moments. You're right. But none will ever top. None will ever top Burley's first game because my, my favorite teammate was Catfish, and it's just absolutely unbelievable. These guys were the perfect bookends. One right-handed, one left-handed. You put your hands together. That's the way Mark Burley and Catfish Hunter were. They look alike. They have the same kind of, of uh, uh, physical structure. They had the same kind of mental posture. They both were had dry wits. They both were great teammates. There was no bullshit with them. There was no alibis. They never put an alibi out there in their life. <laughs> Neither one of them had something. I mean, you, they hit you right in the eye with blackets. And yet, Catfish is at Cooperstown, and Mark wants to keep going. He's got a chance to go to Cooperstown. The only thing missing is you in Cooperstown. Huh? The only thing missing in Cooperstown is you. <laughs> you know, people think it's this, this, this. Patronizing or self-servicing. I I don't think about it. I I really don't. I, I think it's going to happen. Uh, maybe probably when I'm dead, gone. But I'm going I'm going to just say just like uh, another friend of mine. Uh, if they put me in, if they put me in when I'm dead, I'm not going. That's what Red Curse said. Okay. He said if they put me in the hall when I'm dead, I'm not going to go. Well, in in that case, I'll have to put you in while you're still broadcasting, because I assume you're going to broadcast t- until you're n- no longer breathing. Well, let me tell you something. When, I got no choice. I got no say in the matter. When you marry a Greek, <laughs> that, I haven't seen a paycheck in 41 years. And uh, I told her a couple of years ago, I said, honey, I'm thinking about retiring. And I was, I was just probing a little bit, you know. She goes, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but our whole family, you know, is, is, is we're, we're probably as close as any family you ever want to see. And, and we, we grew up in a way where we all have our own space. You know, we, I was gone most of the time when she was raised at Krista and Casey. And she did a wonderful job. And now they, as, as adults, they both have children and they like their own space. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, but I love what I do, and I, and I literally, and I've said it before, I would love to die in the booth. It, that would be the perfect ending for me, is to be calling a game, you know, and then I go out to play. So Matthew on the mound, here's the pitch. That's wrong, you know, way back. So up, you can't put it on the boat. <laughs> The only, Let's go. the only problem with that, the only problem with that is Steve Stone might try to give you mouth to mouth. But uh, that would be my, that would be my perfect uh, exit. You know, you got to have an entree and you got to have an exit. 
and that would be my ex- if I could write the script. Well, hopefully that won't be for a very long time. Well, you know, I'm 72 now. I feel great. Uh, I love the club we have. I, I just salivate when I think about Garcia, Abbasiel. In fact, I was thinking about it before y'all called. You know, next year, you know, with Abreu and uh, Tank, uh, one of the big benefits that I think Garcia is going to have coming back off missing this year, it's going to be easier for him to break in because of Abreu and Abbasiel because Tank is coming on up. But just to think about, you know, that lineup, uh, we're going to have this feet at the top. Micah Johnson's got a chance to be, you know, a game changer. And you get that speed up there. Uh, Rick Hahn's got a, just a fabulous, the way we lost 99 games last year, it's not losing 99, it's the fucking way we lost them. That's the worst season I have ever endured my entire career as an announcer and as a player. I, I hated going to the ballpark last year. This year, I can't wait to get there. And it's going to be this way. We're not going to win this thing this year because they're both, but we, we don't, we got some good arms down there, but we don't have, you know, both in my committee. Anytime you ever hear that, you know, they're in trouble. Yeah. And, and that's where we are now, both in my committee. Uh, when, when Lindstrom comes back and Nate Jones comes back, then it's going to be a little bit different story. But by then it might be too late. But I'll tell you, 15, 16, 15, 18, 19, 20, there's going to be a hell of a ball ball. Thank you so much for your time. I, I, I have one final question. Right. Do you wish you could curse on the air? Yeah. <laughs> I really do. You know, like that, <laughs> that play when Gillespie got caught off first base on the foul ball down the left field line. I would love to be able to say, how the fuck can he do that? <laughs> I would love to be able to say that, but you can't. You know, I got, I got, Ripped, uh, for the other day. You gotta be so PC today. And for me, political correctness should be thrown in trash. I mean, it really should be. That's where it's gotten, it's gone way too far. When I mentioned in the, in the Boston series, when Tanaka came out, Tazawa rather, when Tazawa came out, I was mentioning how all oriental pitchers, you know, have a funny wind up. Well, you can't believe the blowback that came from the, me saying oriental. Let me ask you a question. What is Tazawa? You're right. What is he? He's Oriental, but again, they, they've He's taken it to the extreme. Exactly. You know what? So we, the boss of got emails and phone calls saying, I'm offended that Hawks had called uh, Tazawa an Oriental. And then this, I read a, a I popped down and Brooks Boyer showed me an email yesterday that this, uh, this guy, he was a, he was an Oriole. His name was Kang. He wrote this beautiful letter. He might be a professor or something, and explaining why that people get upset now. It's an outdated, what he said is an outdated term. It's not like me calling Tom Candiotti or Jim Pagosi a Dago on here, or, you know. Right. It's, it, it's, it, that's demeaning. It goes down to intent. Calling, it comes to intent. Whether you say black, Chinese, or something, if your intent's not to harm, there should be nothing wrong with it. Well, and when exactly. Hawk, Hawk and I were young, there were Oriental restaurants. Sure. Now they want to be called Asian restaurants, Asian pictures. They don't want to be called Orientals. And, you know, I read a, I read a piece on a survey about African Americans that they had rather be called the majority, not all, but the majority had rather be called Negroes than African Americans. 
So it's, you know, anything you say today with the Internet and the social media the way it is, you're going to have one guy out there that gets pissed off, and it's going to get all over the place. That's why that I get a lot of hot water a lot of times with things that I say, media-wise. I've said stuff, you know, I don't even know what, going viral means it goes all over the world. Is that what they mean when something goes viral? Okay. I've had that done like eight or nine times where stuff I've said has gone, you know, viral. And I'm not a tweeter. I don't have Facebook or any of that stuff. I do email, but, uh, no, you're going to need a daily broadcast. You get tough on these new broadcasters, and that's one reason I think that a lot of people love to hear a lot of the stories that I tell is because the new broadcasters coming in, they've got a tough road to hold. You know, when Harry left, he was the last of the breach. When I leave, I'll probably be the last of the breach. And these new guys coming in, you're going to see a lot of, you know, good ones, but you're also going to see a lot of cookie cutters. Part of the problem is you get guys you get guys like Boers and Bernstein here talking about stats, war, all that stuff, and they start ripping broadcasters for telling the stories and doing that type of thing. Well, Boers and Bernstein are two fucking idiots. You know, they're, they're, I, I call them trash dealers. They deal in trash. That's how they make their money. You know, they, they can take any positive situation. And I, I told Bernstein, when he first started as a uh, announcer there at the school, I was going to the golf course one morning, way back when. He's been there a long time now. And I listened to him a couple of times, <laughs> and I called him up, driving to the golf course. I said, Dan, it's Ken Harrelson. And he said, oh, how are you? I said, I just got to tell you, buddy, you got a chance to be a hell of an announcer. You got you to stay right where you're at. You know, you, you can't fear all, you know, <clears throat> the Howard Stearns and all that stuff. Side. Well, that's what he's got. You know, he's got a terrific mind. Uh, he's got a terrific mind. Boris is just a fucking idiot. He, know, he knows nothing about, you know, I don't know what they know about football or basketball, but I know one thing. They don't know anything about baseball. I don't listen to him anymore. I used to listen to him. I don't listen to talk radio anymore. I don't read newspapers. And so what I do is I put my my satellite TV, uh, radio on, and I'll listen to Fox News. I'll listen to, you know, whoever. I'll listen to my needle dialer and my music when I'm driving because i got three hours drive time every day. And the last thing I'll do is listen to a program like Boris and Bernstein. I call them Boris and Bernstein. And, you know, they, they're, they're just they're negative. They're negative about everything. 